Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. So I'm going to start today, just want to ask you a question. If you've ever uh, knocked on a wrong door and gotten a really bad response, uh, this last week, I, we were at uh, cross-country practice, and at the end of practice, what happens is, so they've, they've got all the doors locked all the time at Janesville Craig as, as a security measure, uh, but what happens is you've got kids getting done with their cross-country run, or you've got the football players getting done with their football practice, and they all come over and they try to get back into school, and sometimes it's like, I, I don't know, this, the other day it was like 50 kids waiting outside the, the doors just to try to get in, hoping that somebody would come out, open the doors so they can get in and get to the locker rooms and all that. Well, nobody likes to wait for stuff. I am, I am impatient. I don't like to wait for stuff. And so I saw one kid going over towards the field house doors, and he started knocking on them. I'm like, well, he knows what's going on. He knows what's up. So I, I kind of go over, start walking over by him. But you have to understand what, what was going on in the field house was the volleyball team was practicing. And so I see this kid, he's a football player, and he's knocking on the door, and I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to get in there. But then he took off running. He just went on a dead sprint. I think he was trying to make the volleyball coaches mad or something. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, what do I do? I'm just, I'm like, I'm an adult now who's by this door. And I, so I took off. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to. I don't want the, I remember the volleyball coaches when I was in high school, and they were, like, mean. And I didn't, I didn't want them to come out and be like, what are you doing? And confuse me with one of the high school kids and be like, stop it. I'm not a high school kid. I'm a coach. Give me a break. Um, sometimes it's scary to go up to, to doors that we don't know about. Um, just yesterday, <laughs> there's some, I think it was Boy Scouts. They came up to our door at the house. And I'm, I'm sitting, eating eating some cereal, which is pretty much 90% of my time at home is spent eating cereal. And so I was eating cereal, and Crystal kind of saw, he's like, she's like, I, I'll probably get that. I'm like, yeah, you probably should. Um, and she, right away, I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to be good, because she's like, oh, he's so cute. I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's not a cute kid. Stop it, honey. She buys a $15 bag of kettle corn that's like this big. I'm like, you could have given him five bucks and told him to keep going. Like, just come on, what are you doing? Um, I could not have been a door-to-door salesman because I would not like the, the, the prospect of knocking on a door, somebody opening it, thinking a friend is there, and then, oh, it's you. You're going to try to sell me something. I'm glad I never had to go on a blind date and go and knock on the door, and you know, you know that this is the right person. And they look at you, and they're like, oh, I think you have the wrong house. Like, that would not have been an enjoyable experience. Going to a door, knocking on a door, and not getting the response that you want, that is not something that I look forward to. Now, the verse that we're going to talk about today, it's in the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus says the words that we're going to read, Matthew 7, 7. And Jesus talks about knocking on a door, and that door being open to you. Um, but I, I also say that I think that this passage, as we read it, sometimes it can, it can not quite jive with how we experience life. And so it, it makes it confusing to understand our connection to God a little bit. And so I want to read this passage here, just the one verse right now. Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
Do you really believe that asking God for something brings upon him an obligation to open the door to you, to, to give what it is that you're asking for? And I, I really doubt that logically any of us actually believe that, that just because I ask it means God's going to take care of it. Even we as human beings, as parents, we know not to give our kids everything that they ask for. Kids ask for really dumb stuff. We know not to, to, to just give them whatever they ask for. Well, I think this might have happened with more than one daughter, but I remember at least one daughter, she was really, really little, and she's like, Daddy, um, will, we, will we get married? I'm like, no. That's, no, that doesn't happen. You don't just give anything to your kids that they want. My, my oldest daughter, we, when we first moved here, she was like fourth or fifth grade. And we're going to Walmart, and she's, this is like for a year, she has been dead set on, she wants to buy one of those little cars that a kid can sit in and drive. Now, most of the time, you see like three-year-olds in those things. Now, granted, my daughter in fourth or fifth grade probably was the height of a three-year-old. I get it. But I'm like, girl, you, you can't. You can't buy one of these. Six months from now, you're not going to be able to drive it. She was desperate. She's like, no, I want, I want it. I want it. We didn't let her spend even her own money on this. Because there's times where you're like, yeah, kid, you don't know what you're talking about. And so you step in and you don't grant what a kid wants. But dang, when you read, when you read Matthew 7, 7, you read it and you're like, it sounds like God is saying to us, ask and you're going to get it. This cannot be right. We read this and it can't be right. But you know what's funny about it? We know it can't be, it can't be quite like that. But when we ask God for things that we want and we don't get it, we look back at this verse and we're like, well, why not, God? I'm doing what you said I should do. And we get frustrated. It seems to be the words that he's saying, but it can't be quite exactly like this, right? Because let's be honest, if it is, if I can ask whatever I want from God, Sermon's done, I'm asking for one billion dollars and we're out. But that's not how it is. So what we're going to do, just like we do with every other one of these passages we've been looking at in the Straight Out of Context series, we're not going to just look at verse 7. We're going to look at the context that verse 7 sits in. And so I want to read Matthew 7, start in verse 7, but we're going to go through verse 12. It says, ask and you will be given. Now, again, this is Jesus telling this to us directly. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you'll have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now here's probably the most important question that we actually have to, to dig into as we're looking at this passage. What is the seeking that Jesus is actually referring to here? When he says, seek and you will find, what does Jesus really mean when he says seek? Like, seek what, Jesus? I think first off, the thing that, that we see that Jesus is saying is, when you seek something good, you'll find it. Verse 11, Jesus says that uh, we know how to give good gifts to our children. Don't you think that God himself will know how to give good gifts to his children? And then some of the examples that he uses are bread and fish. These are good things. These are, these are things to sustain us as people. 
And so Jesus is saying, when you're asking for these things, don't you think God's going to give those things to you? It's not saying like sugary treats, a Twix candy bar. It's saying these good things, God's going to give them to you. But it also doesn't say uh, ask for the wrong things and God's going to give it to you. Jesus didn't say that if your kid asks for a snake, that you're going to give him a snake also in that situation. If my kid came and asked me for a snake, I, I said a couple weeks ago how much I hate snakes. If my kid came and asked me for a snake, <laughs> it's not happening. It could be a little garter snake. I don't care. All snakes kill. I don't know if you know that, but it's actually true. I will, I'll be running on a road and I'll see a dead little garter snake and I will run to the other side of the road because that thing will come alive and kill me. I know it. And so I, I don't like them. So if, if my kid wants a snake, we might go to a zoo and see it in a very, very enclosed case. Um, I, I even like them when they're stuffed, you know, just so they can't come and get me. But we don't give, we don't give bad gifts to our kids if they ask us for that. Jesus is not saying that every little thing we're going to, we're going to ask for, we're going to get. So unfortunately, um, we think sometimes that we're going after good gifts. We think that we're asking God for things that are right, that are noble, that are, that are just. And sometimes maybe, we, maybe we're not correct in that determination. Sometimes, sometimes maybe we are asking for things that are completely right, but God might be saying, no, for a reason that we can't understand. And that's hard for us. You might think that what you're seeking for after is ultimately for a good, but God might know a different door, even a scarier door, that is ultimately a better. And I'm telling you what, this messes up with our theology. This messes up with our understanding of God. I'm asking for the right things, God. Why are you not doing it? Well, I think when we look at this passage, we, we have to understand that there is always one gift that is a good gift. There is always one gift that we can ask for that I think, man, if we seek after this, we ask for it, we're going after it, we're always going to find it. What is that gift? That gift is God's kingdom. I think that's what we have to understand more than anything about this passage. He's talking about us going after his kingdom, seeking after his kingdom. There is nothing in God's kingdom that will ever become a disappointment to us. The, Craig Keener, he was, he's a commentator, one of the best commentators I've read on the book of Matthew. And he actually writes this about the, uh, what is it that Jesus is talking about, about w what we're supposed to seek. He says this, the supreme object of seeking in this passage is the kingdom. Yes, followers of Jesus ask God to supply their needs, but they do not seek them zealously. Sometimes we, we ask God for the needs in our lives so zealously. And sometimes I think he's just saying, would you just seek after my kingdom more than anything else? Seek after my kingdom and see what's going to happen. So I want you to think about Matthew 7, 7 again in a different context. I want you to think about Matthew 7 as I read it again and think about asking for salvation, asking for God's salvation in your life and see how it reads. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Ask for salvation in Jesus and it's going to be given to you. Seek for God's kingdom and you're going to find it. Knock on the door of salvation through Jesus and that door is going to be open to you. You see how that changes the way that we're thinking about this passage a little bit? 
makes it a little bit more broad. It makes it a little bit more high-ended rather than me-ended. If what we are seeking for is his kingdom-centered, I believe that, yes, God is going to answer us in ways that we couldn't even imagine. A lot of times, though, I know in my own life, when, when it comes to prayer time, it's, I'm praying for my kingdom, for my kingdom to come about. Um, and that changes, that changes how we pray. The door that God promises to open is the door to salvation. It is the door to his kingdom. Uh, after this passage that I just read, if you go on to verses 13 and 14, Jesus says something else that's really interesting. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the w- wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, what Jesus is telling us here, and what what Matthew, as he's writing this, is trying to, I think, get to us, is that it is really easy to seek out the kingdom of God and to find it. It's really easy to get salvation. But then he goes in in the very next two verses, and Jesus is saying, "Ah, but narrow is the road. It's a really, really narrow road, but it's also really, really easy. And, And a lot of times this seems like a paradox. How can the road to God be easy and yet narrow. See, the way of salvation is narrower than most people think, but it's also easier than most people think. It's a paradox. Most people think, and we, we talk about this a lot, most people think that to get to God, to get to, to God's salvation, to, to make God happy with you, you got to do all the right things. you gotta, you got to serve the community. you gotta, you got to be just towards other people. you you got to be generous and kind and and all those things are really, really good, but it's, it's not the, the way to Jesus. There is, there is a narrow thing of how we get to God, and it is 100%, it is about Jesus only. And this is something that our culture doesn't like to hear. Our culture doesn't like to hear that there is a narrow way to God, and it's only through Jesus. In fact, I've been in conversations with people who, who aren't followers of Jesus, and they don't like to hear that we believe Jesus is the only way to God. Can I be honest with you? There's, there's people who go to church oftentimes. who uh, Church is a part of their life, and sometimes it's even hard for them to hear this. It's hard because we know in our, in our minds that there are, there are really good people who haven't made Jesus a part of their lives. Jesus is saying there is a very, very narrow way to God, and it is through Jesus and only through him. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. He says it himself in Scripture. But he also says, he's, he's putting these two thoughts together in this passage, and he's also saying, it's really easy, though. I'm making it narrow, but I'm making it really easy. Ask, seek, knock, and the door is going to be opened. Plain and simple. There are a lot of doors that we could walk through, but there is only one door that actually matters when it comes to God's kingdom. And it's through Jesus. And so here's what Matthew 7, 7, I think, is really about for us. Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, we are to ask for and to seek the advancement of his kingdom over all of our personal kingdoms. If God's kingdom becomes first, and it's all about Jesus, then even while we're praying, our minds are going to, be, are going to start to be transformed. We're not going to be thinking about ourselves anymore. Prayer is not meant to be a way for God to make waves for our glory. Prayer is meant to be a way where we open up the door and say, God, make waves happen for your glory. Make something happen awesome for your glory. I think this is the same 
kind of mind process that, that a lot of really great athletes in team sports have to go through. You see, you see some of the, the really great athletes come in to whether it's the NBA or the NFL, whatever it might be, and you see them in the beginning of their career, it's not always about winning. It's about making their name great. It's about the stats. It's about how many points can I get. How, how, can, I, how can I play in such a way that everybody will be impressed with my talent? And then as the years go on and the losing piles up, that starts to change. And so all of a sudden, their own personal glory kind of takes a back seat. And all of a sudden, they're wanting, it's not about me scoring. I'm going to get my teammates involved so that my team becomes better than it once was. It might even get to the point where they start to say, you know what, I can take less money so we can bring other players in. You can hate, if you're a, if you're a football fan, you can hate Tom Brady all you want. One thing I always respected about the guy, he would take less for his salary so much of the time because he wanted to bring good players in, help him out. There is something in that. And I think sometimes that, that becomes the way that as we mature in our Christian faith, we begin to take that same kind of approach. God, this is, it's, it's been about me too much of the time. I'm sick of it being about me because I'm not, I'm not winning for your kingdom the way that you want me to. Let it be about your kingdom. And once, once in our mind it starts to change about God's kingdom, things start to happen. You might be asking God for things and seeking him out for things. But what if all those things are for you only? I'm going to ask you another question here. I want you to really think about it. Does that sound like the kind of prayers that you would want to answer if you were God? Think about the prayers that you ask, that you pray to God about. Are they prayers that, that, that you would actually even want to answer if you were God? Now here's the thing. You might be saying, yes, they totally are. I'm, I'm I'm asking for the right things. Even in that context, can you trust that God knows more than you do? Can you trust that he actually knows what he's, what he's answering? Praying in a way where we ask and we seek for God's kingdom to rule, it is a prayer that will get answered in awesome ways. That is a promise that we see here in Matthew 7. I will say, I think this saying has, that Jesus is saying here, it has literally nothing to do with praying for our hopes and our desires to come to fruition the way that we want them to. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with praying for God's kingdom to rule. What does that look like in our lives? When you seek God's kingdom, your kingdom, what happens is it gets put on the back burner. Your needs, your desires will begin to look different than they once did. Sometimes that's a little bit scary for us, I think, to put God so much on that, on that level that, that we start to take a back seat. I wish that I could say that my prayer life is like that all the time. I wish that I could say my prayers become about what, what is best for God's kingdom than what, what's best about my kingdom, but it's just not the case. But I think that's where Jesus wants to lead us. I think that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's trying to lead our prayer life to become this prayer life where it becomes about his kingdom rather than ours. That's what this whole thing is about. So that begs the question, what is actually the reason for prayer? Why does, why does God even ask? I get this question from kids plenty of times. Like, if God knows everything, why in the world would he make us even pray? See, we often treat prayer, I think, like it's a request form on a, on a web page. You go to God's website, and you're like, I'm just going to put request in after request after request. It's a good thing that God doesn't do it like that with us and just answer our prayers that way. I think that happened in a, in a movie one time, Bruce Almighty. 
He just started answering through an email and like the whole world went on fire. Um, Prayer is not meant to just be request after request after request. Asking God for our own kingdoms to, to, to become what we want them to be, that's not the right context for prayer. Prayer is about relation. Relationship to God and connection to God. Prayer is about seeking his kingdom and his glory, not our own. So one thing that I think you and I have to realize as we're looking through this passage in Matthew chapter 7 is this. The promise of answered prayer assumes that the one praying is committed to God's purposes and not self-indulgence. As a, as a hard thing for us. Submission to God's will is actually a part of what you have to have in this promise for answered prayer. Submitting to God's will. I'm going to tell you what, I don't like that idea all the time. I don't like the idea of submitting to God's will. I, I find myself, when I'm praying sometimes, I am trying to twist God's arm to submit to my will. You ever find yourself doing that? I'm going to pray, and I'm praying, God, you're going to submit to my will because this is what's right. That sounds dumb when you think about it. When, when our kids do that to us, we're like, kid, child, stop it. You know nothing. It doesn't work that way. You know full well that every good parent, most of what our job is, is to do one thing, and it is to break the will of our child. That is, that is what we're called to do by God. Talking about it with my, with my mom and dad, about like how strong-willed me and my two sisters were when we were growing up. It's kind of funny because uh, my older sister, uh, my parents were like, she was pretty strong-willed. I think one of the stories goes that she was getting spanked one time and she's just looking up at mom and laughing. I'm not sure, but I think that's one of the things that happened. And you, you maybe have a strong-willed kid that you know. Now, there's... There's not a whole lot of bringing out the wooden spoon like there was back in my day growing up. But some of the kids that the wooden spoon would get brought out for and the kid would look at it and be like, you need a bigger spoon. That's a strong will. All right, my mom would bring out the wooden spoon and, and literally she'd be like, you literally would just start crying immediately and do what I said. I was like, not anymore. I'm tough now. I was a big wimp. My will was very easily broken. But I think all of us, we need our will broken sometimes because we think we know best. We think we understand what's best for our life all the time. And will is actually, it's a difficult concept for us a lot of times because we talk about the will of God, following after the will of God. And we, and we think it's all about, oh man, if I'm going to follow the will of God, I've got to do everything in my life, decision after decision, exactly the way that God wants. God gives us free will. And I, and I don't think that he always has it set up like, you have to do this and then this and then this and then this. I hope not, because when I make a, a, a wrong decision somewhere along the way, how am I getting back to the right spot? I think following after God's will is a little different than sometimes we think. What it really becomes is a thing of breaking down my own will, breaking down my own desire to follow my life exactly how I want to, and following after God's will, because God's understanding of this world and of my life is higher than mine is. And so it's breaking down my will, my desire to do everything the way I want to, having the trust in God that I will follow him. It comes down to, do we or do we not believe what it says in the book of Isaiah? It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think most of us in this room who say that we're followers of Jesus, we want to believe that. 
We want to believe that God's ways are higher than ours, that he understands things in a way that we don't. But when it comes to living that out, it is hard to live that out. When I have asked for things and it hasn't come to fruition, frustration sets in, doubt sets in. And that frustration can lead to one of two places. It can either lead us to that place where we dig in and we stick to our will even more, or we let, we let it go. And we begin to trust God that, okay, whatever it is that you're doing here, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that you actually know it. I like how there's an author, Peter Kreeft, he actually puts it like this. He says, dissatisfaction is the second best thing there is because it dissolves the glue that entraps us to false satisfactions and drives us to God, the only true satisfaction. What he's saying is dissatisfaction is a good thing for us. Because if we were satisfied all the time getting things in life the way that we wanted it to, we wouldn't be pushed to following after God. We wouldn't be pushed to having to trust God with everything. But dissatisfaction brings out this thing in us where now I have to, I have to go to the one who is my only source of actual satisfaction, and that's Jesus. Dissatisfaction's good. He leaves us just enough dissatisfied, I think, sometimes to push us in, in his direction. And when he leaves us just enough dissatisfied, man, we sit there half the time and we mope and we complain and we're like, God, you shouldn't do this. But he knows that if we get to God, if we get to thinking about his kingdom first, it is actually going to be best. If you're finding that God doesn't seem to answer your prayers like you want him to, uh, sometimes I think it, we need to remember that motive actually does play a factor. James chapter 4 talks about this. James writes, you desire to do uh, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And then he says, when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is going to be a really hard thing for us to hear. Because now some of you are going, okay, I'm not getting what, what I'm asking God for because I'm not asking with the wrong motive. We need to be careful about that, that idea also. Because you could be saying, man, I'm asking God for all the right things. I'm asking God to restore my marriage. I'm asking God to, to bring back my kid who has walked away from Jesus, to just bring him back to God. I'm asking God to, to heal a loved one who is sick. How can you say that I have a wrong motive? Let's be careful about that. First of all, let's be careful and not go to the place where we assume that because we're not seeing it in the time that we want to see it, that God's not answering what our, what our ask is. The ask can be totally fine. We don't understand God. We don't understand his timing. So take it back a little bit. Remember that. But also this. If we're going to be his kingdom-minded and not self-kingdom-minded, we got to be careful and realize that some of the things that we think desperately we're asking with the right motive, we're still asking it so that our life right now will be what we want it to be. Even some of the things that, that are, are really, really good. Ultimately, God has his way. You know, I've talked about this before. I had, I had a friend who passed away in a kayak accident. And his dad was right there with him when it happened. And he very easily could have said, God, how in the world was this your plan? For my son to die like this. 
He never once has taken that mindset with it. And he has used the story of his son to, to tell people about Jesus. And people who would not have known Jesus have gotten to know Jesus because of it. We don't know why God does things the way he does sometimes. But I will say this. If we are seeking after his kingdom and not our own kingdom, we can trust that he's answering the prayers the way that he needs to answer the prayers for us. Maybe God has a bigger plan for your hurts than even you have for your own. Can we believe that? Praying the will of God is it's different than praying your own will. It is submitting yourself to believing that God knows best for your life, not you. We simply don't see everything the way that God sees it. He sees everything as is. He exists, I don't, I don't understand how this happens, but he exists outside of time and space. He sees things that we don't. Can you do what God is asking in your life? Can you, can you go to him and can you ask him, can you seek him to open the doors for his kingdom? Not just your kingdom. It is hard to get our prayers to that place. See, I think while this passage is not just a, a free-for-all, get-whatever-you-ask kind of pass that God gives to us, it is promising us something really, really great. There's a great promise in this passage, and it is that Jesus promises his followers extraordinary power with God. We have a universal answer to prayer. As we go after God's kingdom, he says he's going to answer it the way it needs to be answered. That is a power that we have because of who Jesus is, and it's powerful. When you make his kingdom your priority, there is mighty power found in that, that we, we sometimes neglect, we sometimes forget. So here's what we, what we believe at Central about prayer. We believe that prayer matters. Prayer is something that God calls us to. We believe that prayer is important. But we also believe this. We believe that prayer does something on a, in the spiritual realm. I don't know why. I can't explain why God set it up this way for us to have conversation with him like this. But I will say, I, I know prayer matters. And so what we want to do is we want to ask you to join with us as a church. I want you to join with us in a 21-day journey of prayer. What we're going to be doing is at the end of the service today, out, out in the lobby, you're going to see these uh, little... I wouldn't call them journals. Maybe I'd call them journals, but little prayer journals. They're going to be handed out to you. They're also going to be on the guest services table for the next few weeks. 21 days we want to go and, as a church, pray. And I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. These are really simple prayers. First day, ask God to keep us closer to him by seeking first his kingdom and not our own. Pray through that. Pray through what that means. It doesn't mean just taking those words and, and praying it like sometimes we pray the Lord's Prayer. We're not meant to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word just because that's how Jesus said. We're meant to pray the Lord's Prayer in its principles. Take every part of what he's praying in the Lord's Prayer. And pray. Same thing here. Take what we're asking you to pray about and, and expound on it a little bit. Get deep with God for a little bit. A couple minutes a day even. 21 days of seeking after God. Tonight we're going to have a, a prayer and worship night inviting all of you guys to come back here. We're inviting our Beloit campus to come here and worship and pray and we're going to go outside the, the walls of the church for a little while and we're going to pray over the, this property that we have. Um, but 
part of what we're doing is starting next week, we are going to be starting a capital campaign with our church. But I want you to understand this is so much more than a thing that is about money. This is about, really, this capital campaign is, we're, we're asking three things. We're going to ask you to pray, to listen, and to do. To pray and to ask God, what is it that you want out of me? What is it you want for my life? And Lord, help me to listen to you. And then when, once we've listened, we've heard what God is saying, to go and do. And, and I, I got me this is a challenge for me, because even this week I was thinking about it, I'm like, I, I don't know if I've been praying and listening like I should yet. So this is a challenge for every single one of us. Take this journey journey with us, 21 days. Um, you know, I know a lot of the time I, I am going after my purposes in life. Let's take 21 days to really go after the purposes of God for our lives. Let's do what Jesus is talking to, to us about in Matthew 7. Let's trust him that when we ask, when we knock, that he is going to open the kingdom of God for us. I believe when we seek after God in this way, he does answer prayer. He does do amazing things. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.